0: Evening. I'd like to welcome you all back. Good to see you again this evening. And as Pastor Dave said, this evening our text, is chapter one, verses. We're going to be uh, dealing with four verses this evening. We're going to be taking a break from uh, from the series that's been going on in the evening uh, in the book of Philippians uh, that Pastor reads been going through and. Uh, I believe Pastor Reed's intentions are in the weeks to come to go, uh, continue to go through the book of Philippians, but as I get the opportunity to preach uh, in the coming months, in the coming year, my intentions are to work my way through the book of Titus. So we're going to be going through the book of Titus as I get the opportunity to preach, and I thought this would be a, a nice balance as uh, Pastor Reed in the mornings is going through an Old Testament book of the Bible, and also uh, the book of Titus is a book I've never studied in depth before, so there'll be a neat study to do in the coming months, in the coming uh, year. As you can see as Pastor Dave read, Titus chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 is what we call an introduction Uh, to a book of the Bible, or specifically a letter in the Bible. We even looked this morning at an introduction to a letter in the Bible. In this introduction, we actually see that the author and the recipient is mentioned. The Bible uh, is filled with different genres, and in the letters or the epistles uh, of the Bible, they often begin with introductions. And our introduction uh, tonight is is pretty similar to some of the other introductions that we might see uh, in the Bible. But two things I want to mention right off the bat as we open uh, up the book of Titus, two things I want to mention in specific concerning this introduction. The first is oftentimes if we read a modern-day book uh, today, uh, usually a Christian theology book or a nonfiction uh, text and it has an introduction, oftentimes that writer introduces us to some of the themes, some of the topics, sometimes they lay out by chapter what each of these chapters or what in the book uh, the themes and the topics will be for the rest of the book. And we find nothing is different here in this introduction to the letter of Titus. Though this isn't the case for every New Testament letter introduction as Um, A lot of them are just a lot more brief. We see here in the letter to Titus, this introduction of four verses introduces to us themes and topics uh, that will be seen uh, and will be emphasized in the rest of the book of Titus. The second thing I want to mention right off the bat as we think about this introduction to the book of Titus is that this introduction also speaks of an example of an example, specifically the author of the letter uh, of Titus being an example to the recipient of the letter, Paul to Titus. Paul is presenting an example in how he views things or what his perspectives are, for lack of a better term, what his opinion is on uh, things, we're going to be looking at that later tonight. So this introduction to the book of Titus does not simply introduce the author and the recipient but this introduction does that, plus introduces themes and topics that will be mentioned later, and we're presented an example. So as we move to the specific verses and phrases in this introduction to the letter of Titus, think with me about examples. And I'd ask you to consider your own life. I'll ask you this question. Who have you looked up to? Or who has been a person in a position of authority over you in which you made their views your views? Who have you looked up to or who has been a person in a position of authority over you in which you have made their views your views? What were their views and perspectives on things? Good or even bad? How did that impact your life? Who was an example to you in which you made their views your views. And as I said, we see Paul passing on an example of how he views certain things to this man, Titus. So our theme for this evening is this, from Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it's Paul sets an example for Titus in how he views life, how he views God, and how he views preaching. Paul sets an example for Titus in how he views life, God, and preaching. We see in Titus 1.1, it gives us the author, as I've already said. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul is the author here, and if you skip down to Titus 1.4, it gives us the recipient of this letter, or or who this letter is written to, as it says, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. So, we're going to see in this introduction to the letter to Titus that Paul is the author and he's writing to Titus. And we see in the words between these introductions that Paul sets an example for Titus. So, this breaks down nicely into three points. We'll look at Paul's example and how he views life. Then, secondly, we'll see how Paul's example, or we'll see Paul's example and how he views God. And then, thirdly, our third and last point will be Paul's example and how he views preaching. So I would uh, invite you to keep your Bibles open as we're going to be doing something similar to what we did this morning, and we're going to constantly be looking back at the text. So I'd invite you to uh, keep your Bibles open to this text of Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And we'll start first with our first point, Paul's example in how he views his life. If you look with me at the text, Titus 1, 1 through 2, it says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life. So as we think about this first point, I was tempted at first to label this point Paul's example in how he views ministry or service. But really, we see here in this introduction to the rest of the letter to Titus that Paul's identifying himself. This is how Paul would describe his life. Look back at verse 1 in the beginning of verse 2. They break down into two ways Paul identifies himself or his life. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we'll say here first that he identifies himself as a servant of God. And then he continues, if you look with me, it says, For the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life. So we'll say second, the second way he identifies himself or describes his life is a, as a servant to others. So we'll flesh this out a bit and see how Paul is presenting a view of life to Titus from these verses. First, let's begin with Paul identifying himself as a servant of God. Again, we see this in the very beginning of verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So these two phrases, servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, are statements of humility, showing that Paul viewed his life as not all about him and what he wants and for his glory, but they were for God for his master, for his will to be accomplished, and for God to be praised. So application from this first way of Paul identifying himself, we might ask, who identifies themselves in this way? Most likely you won't catch people saying, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a servant of God. So maybe, more so I'd ask, who thinks of themselves in these terms? also who actually lives that out in their everyday life is this how you think about your life is this how you view your own life i'm not here on this earth to serve my own agenda and declare my own opinions or bring honor and praise to my name but i'm here on this earth to serve god with every bit of my day and with all my might is that how you think about your life Is this how people would view your life by your words and actions? Someone might say, man, he or she really serves God with their life. Or would they say, they are so selfish, always thinking about themselves and seeking to get the glory or living for their own enjoyment. So we see here that Paul identifies himself here as a servant of God. And this is a unique way of identifying himself. We don't see this phrase, servant of God, in any other letter of Paul. So I believe we can see here, Paul is setting an example for this young man, Titus, that God should be the focus. God should be the one he is seeking to serve, not his own agenda, or what he wants to see happen, or what he thinks is best, but what God does. As I said, we see Paul views his life in two ways may I say, two ways that actually go together. The first, as we just looked at, is a servant of God. The second is a servant to others. And again, I'll read this section. If you look back with me at verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then it says this, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life. When I say a servant to others, I am saying that Paul sees his purpose to help others grow in their walk with God. That's what we find here in verses 1 through 2. It says, for the sake of. That's a purpose statement. And I'll explain this by breaking it down into three sections. First, Paul is a servant to others in how he shares the gospel message. If you look with me halfway through verse 1, it says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So Paul is all about helping people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is Paul's purpose. This is what he sees himself called to do. Somewhat of a side note, or just to explain and elaborate a little bit more, concerning the phrase, God's elect. If you look with me, it says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. This is speaking of those whom God has chosen. All those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior have been chosen before the foundation of the world that they would be saved. That is what this phrase, God's elect, means. The neat thing here about this verse, this is a pretty neat verse when it comes to when you think about this phrase or this doctrine of God's election or God's choosing Because uh, we see here that that Paul is talking very plainly about his part in sharing the gospel with people. And yet we see very plainly here God's part of choosing some to be saved. There would be some that would say if you believe in election or you believe in God choosing some to be saved, then that takes away from the need to evangelize because God's just going to save them anyways. But we see here that the Bible clearly teaches that evangelism and God's election go hand in hand. God certainly elects and he uses evangelism to bring those whom he has elected to his saving knowledge of him. You don't have to turn there, but you're certainly welcome to as it's just a book before ours. In 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul says something very similar. 2 Timothy 2.10 says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here in Second Timothy, we see the very same thing that Paul is saying he serves, he endures persecution, so that those chosen by God might believe in him and be saved. We see his part and God's part. So our first verse, Titus 1, 1, where Paul says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, is a verse that teaches us important truths or doctrines that we are to hold on to, and yet it's so practical. So the application to this is we are challenged to also proclaim the gospel and share the word of God with all those we interact with. The fact that God has not only chosen who would be saved, but he's also chosen how they would be saved should be a motivation for us to evangelize all the more. As I've heard it so clearly, God has ordained the means and has also ordained the means to our, or sorry, as I've heard it so clearly, God has ordained the ends and has also ordained the means to our salvation. May this verse not hinder us from proclaiming and sharing the gospel and thinking, well, God's got it. If he has chosen some to be saved, then he will save them. If you think that, you're right in the sense that, yeah, he will save them, but through people like you and me as we teach and help them know the word of God. As I said, we break this down into three sections. That was the first. The second is we see Paul as a servant to others in how he helps those chosen by God to grow in their faith. If you look with me again, It says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. We'll spend a little bit of time on that phrase, which accords with godliness. Paul doesn't just share the gospel and then he's off to the next person. They're fine. They know the gospel. They believe. They are good to go. But there needs to be growth. Just like if you're growing a plant. You don't just plant the seed and then you're done. You want the seed to grow. So you water it and you care for it. Paul is saying here that he is serving for them by helping them to believe and know the word of God, but there's more to it. That faith and understanding need to continue to grow and transform and become more and more like the word of God commands. Paul wants them to and helps them to grow in godliness. Application, we learned something very important for ourselves here that the Christian life is not just about a knowledge of God and a knowledge of the Bible. It's not just understanding doctrine. It's not even just having a belief in Jesus Christ. But that knowledge, that understanding, that belief needs to take action. It needs to be lived out by following the Word of God in, in your words, your thoughts, your actions. In your everyday life, this short phrase, which accords with the godliness, introduces us to one, if not, I'd say, the major theme that we find in the book of Titus. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, as we celebrated communion, we looked at this theme in the book of Titus, and it's that topic or that theme of doing good works. The phrase "good works," which can be found six times in this short three-chapter letter, is synonymous. To this word godliness. Paul shows that the genuine and true Christian life is to be filled with good works. The Christian life lives out their faith. The Christian life applies the word of God to their lives. The Christian life seeks to live in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God. The Christian life strives after godliness. And Paul here is saying that it is his purpose to help them grow in godliness. And again, uh, we get another theme that is introduced that will later be picked up in this book of Titus, and that's simply of helping others grow in their faith. In one sense, we could say the whole letter of Titus is doing this, as Paul helps Titus grow in his faith. But we see again it's brought up. So if you look with me at Titus um, chapter 2, so a chapter over from ours, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, we see this theme of helping people grow in godliness is again repeated with another group. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior and not slanders or slaves to much wine. And then it says this, They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So we see this is something that Paul is going to come back to and show how you do it. Yet another theme brought up in this introduction. So the application is that we might ask ourselves, how are we helping others to strive for godliness? How are you helping people grow in living out their faith? How are you helping others follow the word of God? As you think to yourself, maybe you're not, and you need to start. Maybe you are, but just needed this reminder to sharpen up in doing this important task of helping others grow in godliness, helping others follow Jesus, training them up to be mature believers. The third part of this section is that we see that Paul uh, is a servant to others in that he helps these Christians have a hope in spending eternity with God. If you look halfway through verse 1, it says, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and then the beginning of verse 2 says this, In hope of eternal life. So Paul shares the gospel He seeks to see these Christians become mature, but he also wants them to have a confident expectation that Christ will return one day and they will be with him forever. Paul wants them to have an assurance that they have eternal life. So we see from this first point that Paul views his life as one to serve God and to serve others. And that should sound pretty familiar to us, as another familiar passage, actually the words of Jesus says something very similar. So we see this is a repeated theme in the scriptures. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five through 40 says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, being Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we see Jesus said something very similar to love God and to love others. And here we see Paul identifies himself as serving God and serving others. So application, or just overarching application, from this first point of three, we might ask: Is this how we say? would say, is this how people would say we view our life, that we prioritize God and others? Or if someone spent a day in your life, would they walk away saying they serve themselves? How much more are we concerned about our wants and needs, our desires, our praises, our glory? We want the attention. We want our opinions to be known. We want our needs to be met. And I go so far as to bring this into the realm of what we might think as ministry or as we serve here in this church. When we serve, in whatever way we serve, are you seeking to serve God and to serve others? Is that your concern? Is that your focus? Do you come secondary or are you doing ministry to be praised by others so that you feel good? I think more often than not, and I know for myself, this is an easy temptation to fall into, that we can become first. We serve ourselves rather than God and others. So Titus is seeing an example from Paul at the very start of this letter to him, that this is a man who serves God and others above himself, and that is what he too should do as he seeks to serve God as a pastor. Are we providing that example to those who might look up to us? Are we showing those younger than us what it looks like to have a life that serves God and serves others? Our second point for this evening. Secondly, we see Paul's example and how he views God. So we just saw Paul's example and how he views life. Now we see how he views his example and how he views God. If you look with me at Titus 1, 2. It says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So Paul continues to elaborate and extends the discussion of this eternal life. He's telling Titus that his purpose is to see God's chosen people come to faith and become mature in that faith, all the while looking forward to eternal life. We see that Paul goes on here in verse 2 to speak of God's work in making eternal life a reality and presents to Titus a view of God that shows Titus how big of a God he serves. And we'll point out two things in specific that we learn about God from this short line, and so too Titus would have learned as he listened to Paul's letter. The first thing concerning God is that God keeps his promises. If you look again at verse 2, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies. Paul is trying to show here that eternal life is sure. It's something they can be certain about. That is what a biblical hope for a Christian is. It's not just wishful thinking, it's not just saying, it's not just God saying, maybe you'll have eternal life, but if God said it, then you'll have it. I'll give you an illustration. Um, think about your life. We've all been let down before. We all know people who say they're going to do something and then don't do it. And it can be frustrating when people don't follow through on a promise. It might even impact your relationship with them, that by the fifth, maybe the sixth, or seventh time that they don't come through on their word, that finally you give up. And when they say they're going to do something, you really doubt that they're going to do it. You lose your confidence in them. I remember from my own life a professor that I had that always claimed to go on to the next subject, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you're sitting in class and really wanting to learn um, some things from the Bible and, and things like that in the class, it was something I really looked forward to, and he always said he was going to move on to the next subject, the next topic, and repeatedly from uh, going on to several classes, maybe three or four classes, he continued to deal with the same subject. He continued to review that subject. That by the next time that he said, we're going to move on to the next subject in the next class, I really wondered if he was going to do that. And sure enough, he continued to deal with the same subject and review the same topic. And what we see Paul is saying here is, is that if God's promised that He's going to do something, then it's a done deal. It's going to happen. We see the fact that God never lies highlights yet another topic or a theme that's going to come back up in the book of Titus. If you look with me at Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 14, we see Paul introduces the topic of false teachers who lie and deceive. So we see kind of a contrast here between God and these false teachers. If you look with me at Titus 1, 10 through 14, it says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So we see here Paul Paul by including this in the introduction is setting a correct standard and contrasting God who never lies with these teachers who do lie application, we see how we can have confidence in God that he is going to come through on his promises. Paul mentions it simply here, but if we look through the whole of our Bibles, we'd see time and time again God promises something, and even if it's years in advance, hundreds of years in advance, he comes through. And this should give us confidence as we think about our futures. Our futures are unknown. We don't know exactly what's coming up next in the coming days, months, and years, and ultimately, as we think about our eternal life, but the fact that God has promised it should make us, to have, should make us have confidence in God and what he says. We might ask, how do we view God? Do we have confidence in our God? Another point of application that comes from this first thing concerning God is, or it comes from this contrast between God and these false teachers is we should be challenged to value the truth of God's word. For those who teach the Bible, when you teach, seek to teach only the word of God and make sure you're not straying from it. For those who listen, check what you hear, have your Bibles open and be checking as the preacher, the teacher teaches the text. So we see first from uh, this second point, as we consider Paul's view of God, we see first that God keeps his promises. The second view of God that Paul shares with Titus is that God's plan is massive. God's plan is massive. If you look with me at verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. As As we think about it, some of us are planners. You might think about yourself Consider if you are a planner. For some of us, it comes natural to plan out our day, to plan out even our week, maybe even the next couple months, even our next year as we think about the future and cast a vision for our life. We think about what we want to do for a career, and we might uh, plan it out very detailed. Other of us are lucky if we know what we're doing the next hour or the next day. We have a God. whose plans and purposes are massive. We have a God whose plans encompass everything and span the length of time and eternity. Unlike us, he actually knows what's going to happen in the future because he's in control of it. God's plans and purposes stem back before the world was made and they go forward forever. When we think about that, That is a very amazing thought. And it's especially just amazing for me as I was thinking about this text and studying it, I'm one who really appreciates planning. I like to think about months and even years into my future kind of planning what is going to take place in my life. But it's utterly amazing to me that God can plan and further, he actually knows what's going to happen in the future. I can plan all I want. But I don't even know what's going to happen the next minute of my life, which as I consider, as I compare God to myself, God is way greater than me. God is way greater than us. We see here specifically for the context that God had this eternal life that he's been talking about, this hope of eternal life, and ultimately the plan and way of salvation worked out before time began. Showing that God was not caught off guard when sin came into this world. Showing that sending Jesus was not just some random decision. Showing that God did not make this world thinking that everything would continue without sin. But God had the rescue plan worked out before it was ever needed. I'll give you another illustration. Jen and I worked at Cornwall Manor in the food service department. Um as we went through college. And probably like any job, and even kids, if you think about your schools, um, you have a fire escape plan. You do fire drills just in case there is a fire to anticipate uh, how you can get out safely from the school or from your work. And as we think about it, humans seek to anticipate problems. That's what we did at Cornwall Manor as we set up this fire escape plan we seek to come up with possible solutions. And the key word here is possible. That's not how it was with God. With this plan that he promised before the ages began, as our verse says, it was not just a possibility, but God knew the outcome of our sin, and he knew his plan would be accomplished. Application, I don't know about you, but this small phrase that Paul mentioned concerning God here in Titus, promised before the ages began, shows how big of a God we serve, how great of a God we serve, a God who is far more knowledgeable and wise and powerful and capable than us. And I might ask you this evening, what is your view of God? When you think about God, do you tend to think of him on more of just a human level? That he isn't much greater than us? And I think, as we think about it this evening, we should be challenged to meditate upon texts like this. This simple phrase, promised before the ages began. To think about what God has done, what he can do, and what he will do. As I said with our first point of three, when we saw Paul's example in, of his view of his life that Titus was given an example to follow. Now we see, for a second time, Paul is an example here in how he views God. Paul shows how Titus can have confidence in God. Paul shows how God is far greater than us and how he knows and plans for the future, specifically in us spending eternity with God. Are we providing that example for those who look up to us? Can those who are younger than us learn about God and what to believe in him from how we talk about God and how we view him. We move lastly to our third example Paul gives to Titus. Thirdly, Paul's example in how he views preaching. If you look with me at Titus 1.3, it says, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Week in and week out, we listen to sermons. Right now, you're listening to a sermon. If we were operating on our normal church schedule, and you were coming to all the services, you would sit through Sunday school, you'd sit through a a lesson in Sunday school, you'd sit through a sermon in the morning, you'd sit through a sermon in the evening. If you were in the youth fellowship, they would sit through another lesson in uh, the evening for youth fellowship. They'd listen to four messages just on a given Sunday. And we might wonder, what's the point? What's the point? And maybe you even reason with yourself, one's good enough, even one, I'm not quite sure what the point is, but I'll do it because it's expected. What we see here in verse 3 is Paul speaking of one of the roles of preaching and teaching. Paul shows us the purpose of preaching. He presents, to Titus, with a, he presents Titus with a view of preaching which is very important. As we'll see in the book of Titus, Titus is commanded to preach and teach on several occasions. This would have been something that he was expected to do. As we see, if you look with me at Titus 2, verse 1, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is Paul talking to Titus. Look with me at Titus 2, 7 through 8. It says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And then Titus 2, verse 15. It says, Declare these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And then we actually see that Titus isn't only going to teach, but he's going to actually have to set up teachers or preachers. Um, or actually not preachers, but set up teachers as he appoints elders. If you look with me at Titus 1, verse 9, just a couple of verses off of our passage. Titus verse 9, it says, he must, be, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So Titus is going to be expected to preach. He will even be expected to set up and train teachers. So what's the point of this task of preaching? And we see Paul lays it out in Titus 1.3. First, God revealed his plan of eternal life through the preaching of the word. If you look again at Titus 1.3, it says, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching. So we see that this eternal life that we've looked at that the believers to hope in and God had promised before time is now revealed. It wasn't always obvious. It had to be made known. Maybe just like a parent might tell their child, I'll tell you when you are older, God in his plan had waited to reveal his plan completely. How was it revealed? By the preaching and the teaching of God's word. So one of the purposes of preaching the word is to reveal God in his plan of eternal life, to make the message of salvation known, to show how one can have a relationship with God despite sin. The second thing Paul shows concerning this preaching is that God had actually given him this task. If you look again at Titus 1, 3, it says, "...and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching." with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. So this wasn't just something that Paul thought was nifty, something that he had come up with to do. But the reason Paul preaches and will instruct Titus to do the same is because this is something that God had called him to. Application. So Titus might have wondered, what is the point? Why should I give my time to preaching the word? Titus probably had a lot of things he could be doing as he dealt with these different churches. He might have asked, isn't there better things that I could use my time for? But we see here that Paul shows what is accomplished when the word is preached, and that is that God's will and his plan is revealed, that the gospel is made known, how people can have a right relationship with God is proclaimed. So I challenge us from this last point in two ways. First, in how we approach sermons. We might ask, is it just something to sit through or daydream through? Or to think about what we have the cal- have on the calendar for the coming week? Or is it just simply nap time? Or is a sermon a time where you come ready to hear God's word and message proclaimed. is a sermon, a time when you come to learn about God and his word. Secondly, I challenge us as we think about what we are preaching, what we as a church are preaching. Is it God's word or something else that is being proclaimed? Is it God's word or the preacher's words or his opinions? or thoughts, maybe his likes and dislikes that are being proclaimed. We as teachers and preachers are to be challenged to only preach God's word, not our word, not the message we think people need to hear, but God's message. And for the congregation, you are to make sure that this is what the church is continually being taught, the word of God. So why in the third section by asking what we did for the other two? Are we providing an example to those who might look up to us? Or what example are we providing for those who might look up to us? What do they learn of preaching from our views of it? How we talk about it, how we listen to sermons. So in conclusion, as we consider this brief introduction, we see that Paul sets a tremendous example for a younger man and someone whom Paul trained, Titus. These words weren't just said flippantly. He wasn't just randomly saying things to kind of get to the point of his letter. But we see that Paul chose these words wisely. He chose these words intentionally. And I believe we see him presenting an example of how he views life, God, and preaching. I'd like to close by asking you now what example you are setting. We thought about in the beginning, Whose views do we follow? Even whose views do we follow now? Who set an example for our lives? And I want us to leave this evening by thinking about what example are you setting? What example are you setting maybe for your children, for children in this church who aren't actually related to you? How are you setting an example maybe for those who are younger than you? And specifically, how are you setting an example in how you view life, God, And preaching. First, would those younger than you or less mature believers see from your life that you see your purpose as to serve God and others? Second, how would those younger than you or less mature believers say you view God? Maybe they would simply answer, I don't know what they think about God because they don't talk about him much. Maybe that's our problem. And then lastly, we come to the third view of Paul we looked at, and we might ask, how would those younger than you or less mature believers say you view preaching? Parents, how do you talk about the Sunday sermon with your kids? Maybe when you're with your friends, do you discuss the preaching from last Sunday? Can people see your eagerness to hear the word preached? We should be concerned about what example we're setting for those who look up to us. Not in some fake, people pleasing way, but in a genuine and sincere way. We should care about the example we set. We should care about the views that we are putting out there for people to follow and how we view life, and how we view God, and how we view the preaching of the word, making sure it matches up with the scriptures, making sure it matches up with this example that Paul sets for Titus. Let us pray that God would use us as he used Paul in the life of Titus to train him up to live for his honor and his glory. Let us close in a word of prayer. Lord, I just, we come before you this evening and, and I thank you for this passage Of Titus. And Lord, sometimes introductions to a letter are easy to skip, just glaze right over. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for bringing this to our attention for uh, just the example we see Paul setting for this younger man, Titus. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to think about our examples. As we walk away this Sunday, help us to think about the example we're setting for those that are younger than us or maybe less mature believers than us. Help us to think about the example we set and really uh, be serious with ourselves uh, and be honest with ourselves, uh, to think about um, the views, the example that we're setting. And Lord, as we think about even how we view our life, I pray that you would help us to really seek to be serving you and serving others. As we think about how we view you, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be thinking of you in some human terms or um, comparing you to ourselves, but help us to see how great of a God you are. And as we think about the preaching of your word, pray that you'd help us to eagerly look forward to it. Lord, and as we think about our example to others, I pray, God, that you would help us as a church to really set a biblical and godly example for other believers. Lord, I pray that our church would be an example in how we live our lives and the views that we take. God, I just thank you for this text, for how it's challenged us, and I pray that you would help us to live it out as we go into our weeks tomorrow. And in your name I pray, amen.